0: Welcome to the Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwartzman, and I'm joined by Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor. As always, the Razor's Edge features ideas that Akram has been studying or investing in personally, and as part of his Seeking Alpha Markboy service, also called the Razor's Edge. I bring my own generalist and sometimes behind the curve, but sometimes informed take on things. Keep the discussion moving. Looking at specific ideas, or when the market is selling off like crazy, we're looking at what's going on. And so, if you want to check out Akram's work and actually get real-time sort of insights on stuff like this, you can type in Akram's razor or the razor's edge on the search bar on Seeking Alpha or going to seekingalpha.com slash marketplace, look up Akram, that's A-K-R-A-M apostrophe S. This week's topic, Correction City. Market is down over 12% this week. As we're recording this at about 1 p.m. Friday afternoon, the way this is going, things might change wildly even today. And by the time this comes out next Thursday, who knows where we'll be. They're down a little bit more than that from all-time highs since the sell-off really started last Friday. It's been quite a scene. I'm in New York City this week, and it's been just interesting, sort of the buzz that's going around this topic. Life here still seems pretty normal, but still catches your attention. And so we wanted to talk about, how do you sort of size this sort of thing? Coronavirus, it's how big is this? We've also got, by the way, the election looming towards the end of the year. Like, what are people pricing in? We had an overvalued market. So things that we've been talking about, but it's really, uh, with the news this week, driven to a inflection point, let's say. So before we begin, quick disclaimer and disclosure, Razor's Edge is a podcast. On Seeking Alpha is the Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast. Not sure what exactly we'll hit, so we'll make sure to do a disclosure at the end. As I mentioned, we're recording this on Friday, February 28th in the afternoon. So, Akram, happy, uh, happy Friday.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. What? I don't think it's, I don't think many people are happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's some of the conversations I've had this week are that maybe this week will revive the hedge fund industry and restore active management to its
1: Yeah. I seriously doubt that's the case. I that anybody in the hedge fund industry after the last three months would short much of anything.
0: Yeah, that's my I I my sense is that the hedge fund industry is probably as wrong footed as anybody. But I guess just to start, how do you, as you're following this, like how are you keep i mean look we're we're only back to about october or september so it's only really a setback of five or six months of up into the right markets but how do you how are you sizing this what are you sort of doing to keep a peg
1: well i mean on the nasdaq we're not even i mean nasdaq is where i mean it's like we're are we even i think we touched the uh Corona, not the coronavirus. Okay, the fair. Yeah, I was looking, levels. I
0: was talking about S I didn't right. even think about NAS.
1: So you're talking December. Yeah, well, that's because the energy and cyclical sectors, airlines, cruises, casinos, healthcare, banks have been hit really hard. But in tech, you're just back to uh, the uh, nice, happy, day of uh, China trade deal. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're I see we're about back to mid-November if I'm just finger, And I can't remember when the ch- trade deal was announced, but mid-November looks like... December 13th, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a little choppy into that and then that's where it starts to take off. So how are you, like, is this something that changes your stance at all? How are you sort of orienting within
1: this? Look, I think anybody looking at this tape has to be wondering is uh, is the virus you know is this an exogenous event sell-off tied to something that for certain is going to eventually go away or was this more of an excuse to sell a market that was really overheated and maybe the end of a very what is it a decade long run plus right because you 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 have a two tier market now right i mean it, 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 if you're looking at the virus you should probably be like do i go buy energy stocks and airlines and cruise lines and casinos right if you're thinking as a trader and i've because made i make yeah i make good 100. money by summer okay mm-hmm. that's got to be the rationale there you can't take the same rationale if you're looking at tech, right? because it's, it's, it's just a different ballgame on, on where they're trading valuation wise. They've just, I mean energy in and of itself, you know, from a fossil fuel standpoint and climate change and all those narratives, it's we're already weighing down on a very weak sector. and then they went lower when the virus started on on, on a global macro trade, right? And complete divergence with, uh, you know, the pro-growth technology, you know, software, cloud, media, et cetera, type of companies. So it's kind of hard here, looking here I mean, like, yeah, you know, Microsoft has dropped from 190 to it hit almost 151 this morning. And you could be, okay, do I buy it or do I buy Apple at 260? Which was 327 or whatever two weeks ago. And then you're like, yeah, well, I mean, this is where they were, you know, in in December.
0: (laughs) So that's not like there's the aspect of the starting point, I think is what you're getting at is that the starting point valuations really need to be kept in mind. I guess the other side of this is once you figure out your starting point, how much does this matter? How much does what's going on? I mean, we, I don't know the last I saw we are have diagnoses in 48 different countries and what do you how how do you size the disruption here to me it's it to me I have to say I it doesn't seem it seems like it's clearly clogging things and we're going to see a slower economic climate for a couple quarters beyond that I, it seems not so plausible but how do you actually size it when you're trying to Adjust your baseline for a given company.
1: Oh, I mean, I think it's it's difficult because for a lot of these companies, it's not necessarily uh, on the technology side that disruptive. For some, even beneficial. I mean, like you know, like your Zooms and teledocs and whatever. Uh, you've got these coronavirus-type trades and software, but uh, for semiconductors, which have been doing amazing uh, for really cyclical stuff, you know, travel, etc., leisure. It's it's a decimation event temporarily. People don't want to travel. People are staying home. You know, you got Japan closing schools still here. You got China doing their quarantines. You've got several countries dealing with this issue. And it's just now making its way into the US economy as far as that d- degree of disruption. We don't necessarily know how big it's going to be here as far as business activity. And people's willingness to move around, tourism, spend money, go to restaurants, go shopping, etc. So, uh, yeah, it's it's obviously very hard to quantify that. I mean, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts from scientists on the topic. I don't know if you've done much on it, but I mean, I do think the argument is that that just the nature of coronavirus. I listened to one guy from Hong Kong, and uh, another guy from the University of Maryland, and another guy from. University of, I think it was North Carolina, and I mean they ranged from like a microbiologist to pathologist to uh, I don't even remember what the specialty of the third person was, but they all have pretty much similar arguments which is the nature of this virus is that you know, it doesn't respond well to warm weather and you know, as as things warm up it will on its own burn itself out, right? But I mean there's just no denying that it's it's spread globally very rapidly and it's gonna be lingering for a while.
0: Well it seemed like the weekend where you had it pop up in Italy, so now you're in Europe and no clear ties to China or anything else. I think that's I remember thinking last weekend like, oh that's gonna be a big deal and it's hard to minimize. I didn't predict what would happen. And I didn't, I mean, I've done a little bit of buying this week, so I haven't radically changed things, but yeah, that seemed like a big change at the same time. Yeah. The warm weather, I mean, you have, I know the Canary islands, I think there's been a quarantine of some sort. So there are sort of some counter examples of warm weather, but it does seem like, and it's hard with the nature. You see all the articles, Oh, this is really not, it's really mild. I think that was a headline on the New York Times. This is mild, which is the problem because the yeah, I mean spread- you can't dumb
1: it down. It's 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 new. It spread very quickly, and you can't just be like, well, I mean, you no, it's just like the flu. Even though, characteristically speaking, you know, that is the comparison, right? But it it's still extremely disruptive, right? I mean, there are people dying of it. There's just no doubt about it. And whether the mortality rate is significantly lower than, you know, a super, you know, an Ebola or a SARS the, is to a degree also being drastically offset by the fact that it's spreading much faster than anything like that.
0: Right. And I had a point to make about the the spread that I, I lost. So, so, okay. So it's uh, it, yeah it's obviously having a real effect it's obviously going to grind the gears down but it does i guess that's part of the thing the market hates uncertainty and we're sort of stuck in this uncertainty and then when you start with uh the high valuations then it becomes easier to say all right let's get out of here is there the the one plausible risk to me of a more significant hit is that You know, obviously if you're in over-leveraged companies, then all of a sudden, you know, if you're a leveraged hotel company, this is not a good time to be because you're just missing out on a quarter or two of cash flow. The I can but then you get some sort of I've heard some murmurings being here this week of like credit desks starting to get nervous or people just inside really getting nervous about sort of the way this tumbles. Do you see any risk of contagion within the markets itself? Do you see any risk of uh, this sort of spiraling? Well, I think
1: the best way to think about that is step back and look at the markets before this week. And they, I mean, since this, whatever you want to call it, uh, intervention in the repo market in September, And the Fed expanding its balance sheet. You can look at this as a policy error type of dynamic. And you can look back and like the closest parables, I mean the comparisons you can make really to a degree from just a pure market dynamics really remind you of uh, 99, you know, with liquidity being provided in the repo market ahead of Y2K and Y2K not being much of a, let's call it a non-event, right? It wasn't essentially a non-event. Right. And you just had this blowout in valuation that had been building on what what had been a very strong secular theme, right? Internet, uh, the web, mobile, uh, telecom infrastructure, e-commerce, everything, software, etc. And you kind of you you had that fire it had been running for a while and you just poured a lot of fuel on it right and that set things into takeoff mode and then once that kind of subsided as far as uh, the and you and you were coming into an election year as well, right And once things subsided, <laughs> you had uh, you know a bubble deflate right and then a recession shortly thereafter and then 9 11 and so on and so forth right and you, you had a contested election if you, i mean if you remember 2000 mm-hmm. i remember it vividly because you know i was in the bush needs to win uh this supreme court better rule in favor so so the nasdaq recovers type of camp right <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, uh, i like it's like this is bullshit. You know, they stole Florida. <laughs> Don't give him the election. And I mean, like, it's, uh, it, you you do think back to that because you're like, it's, you know, if, if Gore's president, we're screwed, right? The market just needs, needs Bush to get in there. And we're going to be good. And he did. And we got about, a, we, we had like a little short bounce back in January. I remember I was long Nortel. And I was like, this is awesome. Great. Thank God. And then within like two months later, I, you know, my basis going into January. My, my stocks were like 50% lower from there. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, yeah, that's, that's, we can, and we can, the, because the political forecasting and, you know, what's going to happen, I think we, we're going to have that angle. I'll, I'll point out that on Twitter, Jim Chanos, I think, has been pointing out the March 2000 parallel as something that uh, is worth being mindful Look, of. I mean,
1: it's hard to ignore because in theory, and I mean, not even in theory, in practice, long runs end with a blow-off, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't end with a whimper. Secular themes, what is SAS right now, for example, right? And when when there's always going to be a peak to something like that, and particularly something that, that narrative-wise has been driven for by underlying fundamentals that, that are robust, and you do look at some stocks today, and... Uh, and their price action before the sell-off was, you know, somewhat indicative of, like, valuation and liquidity exhaustion, right? I mean, Microsoft. The the, the day Powell testified, and uh, you know, we talked about this earlier. And Trump tweeted the Dow was like up, and he tweeted, you know, Dow was up. Powell starts talking, it's down. He doesn't get it. We need negative rates, right? And I mean that day, actually, the Nasdaq was, was remained strong. The Dow had actually just dropped on Boeing had opened up. I think it got, got close to 350, and you know, Boeing's had all kinds of issues, and, and there was some Boeing-related news, and Boeing reversed. And Microsoft opened up and like hit like 192, and then on really heavy volume, dropped in the first hour to the point by, you know, two hours later, it was you know down three four percent from its high. Which I mean if you looked at that, you're just like, I mean, and, and on that day, I mean I, 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 I joked with uh, you know, people in the subscription service. I'm like, Did 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 uh Trump just top tick this market? Right? Like what does he think? It's just supposed to go up every single day. <laughs> you know, uninterrupted forever.
0: It just yeah, that that's always been a weird to be so transparently where a mark to market uh situation it just seems just a very interesting i don't know wisest choice to kind of peg yourself yeah
1: why he's just kind of married himself to it you know i mean even Mm. when they asked him about when he did his 6 p.m coronavirus thing uh two days ago and introduced the vice Vice president President Mm. as as the head of this thing he was you know trying to be presidential non-confrontational uh and whatnot, and 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 straightforward and serious, so doing that. And when they, they got to the Q and A, that someone asked him about the stock market, and he's like that. The stock market is something I know a lot about, right? And he's like, it's been like a rocket ship up. You know, everyone's doing amazing. Okay, and I think the stock market is is worried about the Democrats, not the virus, right? And socialism, right? And Bernie Sanders, and you know, I mean, again. You can look at that and be like, well, I mean, w- without question, what's been going on in the, in the, the democratic debates and, and the election has, has heightened those risks. And if you're an investor, those are very tangible things to consider. A Bernie victory does mean a higher corporate tax rate. It means a higher capital gains tax rate, a lot of disruptive potential if, if he can get it passed, which let's assume one even if he can win, which is it still seems like a long shot to me. But if he wins, getting his agenda passed is a completely different problem, right? So but the argument is that that's that's being priced. And that I think is a bit ridiculous. Like that's where you step back and say, well what were we doing before? And that's where you look at the Fed and be like, why was like why provide so much liquidity? Like the economy is strong, unemployment is low, right? Market's been doing well. Uh, You did have this disruption in the repo market. Why not let that thing play play itself out, right? Versus intervening in the way you have, and to the point where now, you know, it was like this is going to be a month and then it's going to be, we'll be winding down in January to, you know, we're aiming for April. And I assure you now with, with the virus, you're getting lower rates, right? So right. It's, That's... it's just the <laughs> foregone conclusion.
0: So you're saying that the interve- the repo buying that they've been doing, like you said, since...
1: Repo buying, expanding the balance sheet.
0: You're right? saying that, that that was unnecessary, that you could have a- afforded... We can't sit
1: here and call it unnecessary. There was obviously a disruption. But in, in the man the, for them to not be so cognizant of the fact that you don't need to provide... This much liquidity for this economy with the way it's doing and with the way the market has performed right some level of risk aversion is always healthy and i will tell you even from my standpoint what they did is like you your book gets lopsided long because you're just like what the hell is the point anymore like i I can't short anything without feeling that i'm just giving away money right just from the way daily trading functions. And this is why. This is what we, we've been having these events. And I've made this argument so many times that even when you make the argument and you're aware of it yourself, you can still get caught in it because psychologically it can be very frustrating. Right. And you're just like, what they are doing is just leading to bigger and bigger drops that happen faster and faster. And it's been proven throughout time. You're basically taking a market, which You just decided it's going to spend 90% of its time going up in these little increments. And there's just going to be these reckonings that it's impossible to react to because you get just so blindsided and they're just super short-term volatility events.
0: Well, so what I want to get into, and this is, again, might open the door for that long-term or that supposed long-term view of whatever's going on with the election, but... Do you think that it's changed? Because, I, 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 for example, I, I sort of made the point about the administration taking credit for the market, but then on the other side, a lot of people will take any two-day sell-off as proof that, like, oh, the market's really going down. But every time that's happened, it has bounced back. So I know we're still, we're still, you know, the market's fighting to try to get back to even. We'll see if it does stay, but. Do you think that something has fundamentally changed that will actually keep the market from doing the same sort of buy the dip bounce back that it's been doing for the last, you know, I mean, even even the 2018 sell off, if you get down to it, the market recovered? Well, here's the difference between the
1: 2018 sell off and today, like what you've what has happened in stocks that are outside the FANG, SAS, cloud, you know super growth box, okay? When you get outside of those names that have been really over-owned, I mean, for example, you're a big bull on Disney. I've been watching Disney. I I don't have a position. It's, what is it now? 116, 117? Right. Am I really now going to be looking at Facebook and Amazon and Google and Netflix if if Disney is at a 52-week low? I mean, is it? I think it is.
0: It's... I think it popped last year. I don't think we're at fifty. I'm pulling it up now. I, it fifty-two week low was one oh seven. It's at okay. so it's yeah it's it's approaching it. But it's but
1: essentially you got to go back to like March, the day they did the analyst day and announced the pricing of uh, Disney Plus.
0: Uh, we're exact. We're exactly what it was. Early April it looks like, and that's almost exactly where we are. There's an example, and you got then
1: you got. I mean, a a, a significant pullback in the financials. You got stocks that had been doing well, you know, targets and whatnot. That I mean, have not come back huge yet, but definitely have come off. So when you look at you know Microsoft, which was you know what like 130 in the summer, it's 160 now. Right, it's not 190, but I mean, it was 11, 12 times sales almost 11 times sales two weeks ago
0: mm-hmm.
1: so i think what like that that's where you kind of have this element where you're like do i just come back in and buy the same names or do you have to start rethinking things you know i mean exxon mobil's dropped what like 30 percent in the last month i mean i don't have i have no idea i think it was 67 and it hit 50
0: it's at 51 right now yeah and it started the year at 70
1: yeah, so there are arguments against those fossil fuel companies from a climate change standpoint and from a global growth standpoint as well right now because of you know depressed crude prices.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But at the same time, you got to start looking at and be like, you know, this has been like commodities have been in a bear market essentially since 2010. It's been a straight line
0: down, right? I was going to say 2014, but sure.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like, look, you had the peak pre-financial crisis, and then they came back, and then it's been just, you know, a, a steady grind lower. Yeah. You had a rally where crude got back to 100, and I mean, I think ExxonMobil didn't manage to. There, there were some names that managed to notch a new high, but a huge other component, let's say the soft commodities, for example, agriculture and whatnot related. I have struggled. I mean, I remember when, you know, all people were trading was, was Potash of Saskatchewan and Euro and Mosaic, and those mm-hmm. were the hottest names in the market. I mean, that's like, you go back to 2007, 2006, I mean, into 2008, and then again, post-crisis like 2010, 11.
0: Yeah, so, I had Mosaic in a portfolio that I think I started managing that I think was probably in there because of a Kramer recommendation, and it took me a while to get rid of it.
1: Yeah. Phosphate fertilizer, right? <laughs> people, China and India need to eat. Exactly. <laughs> it was the no brainer trade. And we, uh, like, I mean, I remember when I used to cover those stocks uh, particularly the, the pet chem names also, when I was looking at them uh, and it was just the conversations you would have from, with hedge funds and, and people focusing on the narrative just like, yeah, you know, I'm de- I'm buying urea urea fertilizer names. These guys have a subsidized feedstock. stock. It's pure profit. Da, 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 da. I, I I can't
0: lose. Right. Yeah, and that that's a, those are companies that have grinded.
1: Yeah, blew up
0: massively. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: And we've we've seen that. I mean, you know, shale U.S. production, et cetera, all all played an element, and slower global growth. You know, has also played an element in that as well as the rate dynamic
0: but so you sorry I wanted to just you said that this was different than 2018 your point being because those some of these names look compelling as compared to the fang stocks or the reverse yes
1: correct because when 2018 it was kind of a uniform drop Mm -hmm. right where you could be like I mean even then it was just like I'll buy I'd, I'd rather buy Goldman at you know 130 or 140 than. Uh, you know, salesforce.com, right? Mm-hmm. But you, you had, everything was getting hit hard. I mean, you had Apple, Amazon, Google, etc. I actually think Google actually held up the best to tell you the truth in, in retrospect, but semiconductors, for example. Yeah. I mean, you remember, obviously that was a, a big focus then for me. Nvidia. Right.
0: That's when NVIDIA played So, out.
1: which essentially has, you know, doubled over the last six months. But I mean, I got lucky with NVIDIA, you know, I, I had some in this, Portfolio and even in the in the uh, razor's edge group, I was just, the the day after earnings, I was like, I'm I'm selling half, right? And I was like, I have no other reason other than the fact that it's up sixty percent in three months. And that stock tortured me from an options trading standpoint. It was misery for me because I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, I just done nothing and just bought one year Nvidia calls. I would have been happy, right? Mm. Why stress yourself out with this dynamic when the stock was you know, 160, 170? One, 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 and I'm like, I mean, how is AMD performing this way? How is uh, every other chip stock performing this way? And why is nobody still yet to come back to this? And why is every analyst tweaking their price targets? I mean, if you look, not just this recent earnings, the one before, the analysts were like, yeah, it's okay, but a little soft on guidance, You know, adjusting my price target from 195 to 190. You're like, what? You're like, seriously? <laughs> and then, the last month, it's been like, you get three, four notes out of the same people. I'm taking NVIDIA two hundred and twenty, taking NVIDIA two hundred and forty. I'm feeling really good about data center NVIDIA two hundred and sixty, NVIDIA three hundred, NVIDIA three hundred and
0: eighty. <laughs> well, so I want let me use NVIDIA as a case. So first of all, are you still long NVIDIA? Do you still have that half? Yes. So, what's funny here? I'm looking at their chart, and it's they are literally they have wiped out a whole two and a half weeks of share price appreciation like they they reached 260 on february 10th which was three mondays ago and they're at 259.2 right now and so it does i guess you know and when you try to think of how this disrupts their business i guess you know there's some loss of demand and maybe this gets in their supply chain a little bit but it doesn't seem on the one hand It doesn't seem like much has changed. On the other hand, neither has the valuation. It's not exactly like you're back to pounding the table, I would think, either, right?
1: The problem with any chip stock, you know, I like NVIDIA where it's positioned relative to the peer group, okay? And it hasn't gotten to a point where I look at it and I'm like, it's a bubble relative to every other name in its sector, for Mm -hmm. example, okay? That's not an argument. You could look at Zoom today. Uh, this morning it hit, and you know I, I, I've been pretty bullish on Zoom since the, the uh, SaaS crash, and I was really I was doing numbers on Zoom and back in November before it reported earnings, and, and I'd been buying the stock in the low 70s, even below 70 a little bit, and it's like you know this thing is probably going to hit a billion in revenue next year. I'm you know I I can't see any reason not to like it, so. I'm getting it at like 17 times forward sales. Uh, I don't want to own that over Shopify at like 28 or uh, uh, Slack at the time, you know, had come down notably and it's like, look, this is like 12, 13 times forward. Yes, it could have a Dropbox problem over several years, but I, I like where they're positioned right now. And I like what I'm paying here versus, you know, dog at 35 and uh atlassian at at 27 and and Mm. and so on and so forth right so you had an opportunity to look at some names and be like relative to a nice peer group i'm willing to own this here right or maybe i have some other shorts mixed in and so on and so forth but i like the story i like the narrative uh in the chip space it's 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 just like, what am I paying for chip stocks? This is the most expensive th- they've been in twenty years, right? That's where you, that's where you struggle. It's what's the valuation for chip names?
0: <laughs> so, you, uh, what what have you been doing this week in terms of? Have you made changes to your exposure? Have you? Pushed- well, not
1: really. I mean, I obviously have been really gung ho on this pager duty, which I've right. been going in. It's actually up to date for a change. Yeah. Uh, but. It's one of those where you're kind of in no man's land. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily know if you want to bail. I mean, I'm I'm glad Shopify finally came down. It's fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. Roku as well. Uh, and I closed the Roku pretty early into this move, but there was just there was some price action where, again, you know, if you look at the way Shopify traded on earnings and fizzled, if you look at the reversal, of Microsoft. These are all pre-Coronavirus, right? there's some SAS stocks that had started to melt a little bit so you got into this split type of dynamics and going back to what we were saying on on in on Nvidia like I- Nvidia in 2018 all right at its peak when it was 290 bucks right end of September beginning of October 18 mm-hmm. Nvidia was to me then what Zoom's valuation now looks like Compared to 50 other cloud names. I mean, this morning, Zoom hit 62, 61 times trailing 12 month EB to sales, right? The next closest SaaS name is like 30, 30 31. It's like Datatog or something, right? Mm. So it's literally twice as expensive on on a revenue multiple basis as the next closest name, you know? And you do have some SaaS names that have had some issues. I mean, like, uh, you know, New Relic is, has traded down to a low multiple. I mean, I've been buying PagerDuty at five times sales, right, with 85% gross margins. I, I look at it every day, and I'm like, How is Everbridge, you know, three times its enterprise value with 20 million more revenue and gross margins that are are in the high 60s, right? And it never wins against them in on-call, literally. And you've done the checks, and you're like, so you have these types of disparities. But then you look at the market, and you're like, well, I mean, this Wayfair, which you know Citron has, you know, I commend them on that the fantastic short. It's gone the whole opposite direction in the market, right? It's not like a jet. Like, when you have a genuine risk on, things tend to all inflate, right? We had a period. If you look at, at the end of January, you know, where Jumia had rallied 50%, and then what Jumia within the last week made a, a new all-time low. I mean, Jumia is almost trading at a negative enterprise value right? They should literally shut it down and return the cash to shareholders.
0: <laughs> well, different. And to your point, Wayfair also had a little bit of a January kick before falling down. Yes.
1: So you're you're seeing stocks, I mean, VMware is one, which I thought looked cheap and it's gotten shellacked the last couple of days. And you
0: know, it's making 52 week lows. Well, they just reported, I think, or Dell. Yeah, I, I mean, the stock, debt, the so.
1: stock literally cliff dive before it reported within this sell off.
0: Fair. Right.
1: So it, it got into like 160 and, you know, it went into its report in the 130s, right? So you're seeing that and you're seeing stuff like IBM got – with the new CEO got up to like 155, 156, whatever it was. I mean I was joking with the <laughs> – I was getting trolled by these uh, vitae, uh longs because it had like a 30% move in, in a week, you know, right before it reported. And I was like, guys – in the time period that that i paid attention to the stock and from when i came to it and when i i first shorted it literally over 30 dollars after hours a small position when it reported in, in august and then was started to build a position in the mid to high 20s and ibm's outperformed you you know i mean like what are you celebrating you know i mean i get it you know you have a stock that Goes from 27 to 15, back to 25, 26, 27. And it's like, oh, your short thesis is wrong. It's like, well, no, no, they keep missing. They didn't hit their numbers. <laughs> they didn't give you this. I mean, I understand it's a different group of ownership, but hey, step back for a second and tell me where would your stock be trading if the market was where it was in August? Right? Hmm. Because if somebody could have bought IBM or Apple and generated ridiculous returns while you're down 10% in six months, risk adjusted, you need to rethink what you're holding. Right,
0: right, which we're lazy of doing, risk adjusting.
1: It's not, I mean, it's just a question, like, I mean, I look at PagerDuty today being up, but I'm like, all right, well, it missed, it didn't draw speculation in the rally, and you take solace in the fact that the valuation eventually becomes supportive. And I mean, I mean, I've wondered how it hasn't gotten a coronavirus bid as well, like Zoom has had, right? I mean, there's no doubt Zoom is majorly benefiting from this. And Teladoc is another example. Even Slack, if you look at the way Slack's traded the last few weeks, it's like, and Atlassian has held up better. So there are plays where you can sit there and say, oh, these are getting insulation as far as, you know, they're growthy. And they actually benefit from this disruption, right? But then you look back and you're like, well, what about that multiple, (laughs) right? Right. Because I've changed the multiple on a lot of things. And and if a bad stock like Wayfair can start making new lows, and if a company with a competitive problem uh, missing here and there on bookings, like look at Nutanix this week and look at – uh, new Relic. And look at ZScaler. There was a there was a guy in the Twitter feed who, AnaPlan reported, and it was it was down like twenty five percent on on Wednesday, right? I think it was was it Wednesday or yesterday? Sass name?
0: Yeah, yeah I, I I wasn't familiar. They reported yesterday.
1: Drop big, and it was like they beat. A, the comment was like they beat. They raised you know and if this can't if this can't go up in this tape you know something's seriously wrong with the market right and i was just like bro it's a 25 times trailing revenue stock with negative 20% margins right that's where you're at on operating margins and it grew subscription revenue 49% i can show you 30 names where i if i adjust for the growth rate and the margins that are more attractive right and software and is, sorry, that's when me. you get into it, 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 it i mean and like to me i look at it, i look at something like that i'm like you know paid your duty grew rep subscription revenue 38% its valuation yesterday was you know five times sales right on an ev to sales basis and it has positive unit economics not negative 20% operating margins and that's where you're just like, okay, like well, if people are looking at that and saying this is, makes no sense, then maybe the markets, <laughs> the markets really have the best comparison in 1999, 2000, right? Because if you think 25 times sales and negative 20% margins, and the person replied and was like, anyone commenting on valuation for something with such a growth, I, I laugh at this type of stuff, right? You're, you're out to launch I'm like dude I'm not combine, I'm not comparing it to you know ExxonMobil or Disney I'm comparing it to 50 other SaaS names okay right. and I'm telling you in those 50 other SaaS names I like I could flip a coin and get you a better bargain
0: and the question is whether that something like this week does that actually change how people look at this stuff I mean because it it, it seems like the answer is no because if zoom, I know it's a coronavirus play, but as you pointed out, it's also at the far, far, far right of this chart. Like do people, because uh, I, I wasn't trading in 2000. I was still in high school and not super into the markets. So I don't know what finally, because it's interesting you say that about the election. I, I wasn't in, in tune to any big discrepancies there between the two sides, but the,
1: Well, Daniel, that's I I see where you're going. That and that's the risk here. That's the question. I don't have an answer to it. And I think anyone who looks at markets always has to just admit that you, when you get to points like this, and you're just like, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, you know how it turns out when a bubble pops. It's painful on the way down, right? Because all these SaaS companies, it's not even. It's it's worse this time around because it's not like the telcos and the internet infrastructure type plays uh, and the way software licenses were sold, like with the Siebel Systems and whatnot back in 2000, is that with SaaS, the slowdown is not going to be visible to you for a while in terms of operating numbers. Okay, That's why there's such an obsession over calculated billings, and you see such huge swings in SaaS stocks when... There's just the slightest variance in calculated billings or a net dollar retention rate or whatnot. It's because your visibility on seeing it in, in revenue growth numbers is, is you're looking 12 12 months out, right? And they have high visibility, so when they guide on revenue, it's it's not something that they're going to miss very rarely, right? You know, so you could be sitting here with beat after beat as your stock falls 50%. And you just, I mean, we saw it just recently, right? And in, in July through October, and it's like, did the narrative change? Well, in some respects, yes. I mean, there's definitely more competition in software. There's no getting around that. I mean, even when we, we, we discuss PagerDuty, you have to acknowledge that it's a much more competitive environment in, in, in all of SaaS than it was five years ago. And that's why Salesforce is doing the deals they're doing. And that's why you've seen these acquisitions to maintain certain rates. Like the space definitely could use some consolidation. And I was joking about that today on Twitter. I was like, you know, at zoom's current multiple, they should go after Twilio <laughs> or, or Slack. Right. You know, all they stock buy Skype
0: from Microsoft.
1: Yeah. They're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, put together, put together, you know, two darlings in it, like, let's call it an overlapping space, like Zoom, Twilio together, and you're and you're talking contact center as a service and and whatnot uh, against like a Ring, who's who's you know been a Zoom partner, oh, or or Slack, right? You know, video conferencing and chat, right? Mm-hmm. You marry them together. I right? mean, or Slack buys a pager duty. I mean, the the obvious overlap there is is really clear. So. You do wonder if, if something will will spur a bit of a consolidation wave with the way the valuations had gotten just now recently and, and, and you use your stock price to be opportunistic. And we saw some deals, right? I mean, the Salesforce did buy that uh, that vertical velocity, which the price they paid surprised me. And that was pretty high, relatively speaking. So it seems like these companies are still willing to, to pony up even for – for names where you know my checks indicate it's, you you'd be surprised that they they would pay as much as they did but i mean that's kind of that's kind of a an overriding theme i think when you look at uh, at software in general and this like for for example what's 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 it's called do it today elastic bounce a little bit I mean, this is, this is the thing, you know, like you trade desk today is up 10% and you're like, all right, this coast is clear. Am I willing to get into this or am I buying these names and nothing changes in the story and we can get back to a point where 10 times sales is expensive mm-hmm. because, I mean, I was joking with a friend where I was looking at the old Salesforce acquisition list that leaked when they went after LinkedIn with Microsoft in 2016, right? Mm -hmm. LinkedIn fell 50%, Tableau fell like 45%. And the the WikiLeaks had leaked that like, I don't know, was it a year or two later? And I mean, the most expensive name on that list was like seven times sales.
0: Right, which is like glory days compared to, or the the reverse, depending on how you think about
1: it. That's not even cheap now. Like literally right now you make, and that's where you get into these types of things where you're like, Oh, I like this stock here and I buy it. And what if it turns into like, like I said, like a pager duty at five times sales. So you're just like, what, what is this? This is, this is a, an on-premise dying software company. Are they selling physical pagers? I mean, what is? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it's, there's very clear way of assessing a certain type of subscription revenue. And you can see, when you, when you talk to the customers, what they're getting and the ASP they're getting and and where they're positioned and you understand these tools, you know, and you're just like, why does this get this multiple right now? And, th- th- and that's where you, that's where it's you get into this bit of a struggle and if I come into this market after this week and be like, okay, this is coronavirus, it created a buying opportunity and everything, right? And then we have a bit of a rebound, right? And then, we have a pullback again because of election fears, right? And then by the time we get to the election, Trump wins, let's say, and you get another rally, and then the market just starts falling. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, we're in a recession, right? <laughs> because that's, that's kind of how you look at this dynamically. Like a, a recession is going to arrive. And it's. It's something that will sneak up on you, and you could have you, you could be looking back three years from from today, and be like, oh, this that January the pre coronavirus sell off was peak risk multiples. It's not a hard argument to make. Now, what's the path to get there is, is, is a good question, but it's not a hard art. It's definitely not a hard argument to make, and I don't think any many people are looking at their portfolios today and thinking that way.
0: The question, so I'm just it occurs to me that something you hear in sports sometimes is uh, college basketball, for example, whenever the number one team finally loses, it's like, oh, that was a relief. We like the pressure's off now. We don't have to be the undefeated team. And I almost wonder somehow if this becomes something where I'm saying this half serious or not seriously at all, really, but the the. The recession's here. Now we can go back to growing. You know, it was the same way some people when in on Christmas Eve twenty eighteen, the market crossed twenty percent, and people were like, "All right, bear markets here. Now we can start to have a bull again." And it's reset. It's the like those the slate's clean. I almost wonder if some people are looking at it that way. I guess the question is, how do you? The more serious question is, how do you sort of? Are you just kind of? trying to stay nimble as this goes forward or how do you evaluate that
1: I mean I think you I think you you got to be undecided right now and there's a lot of things to consider I mean one at one point you do get excited when you see certain names bounce and like the way like a trade desk or or an elastic traded or or even a page duties trading today or the way zoom has managed to trade despite its multiple you know that there is appetite right and you're not going to get into this camp, of the party's over. But then I take a look at a Facebook, and what's weighed on its narrative. I look at a Pinterest, which has you know mm-hmm. given back its entire That's earnings up. move, yeah. right? And then some, you know, it's like what it's up ten percent on the year now again, which was relatively low end. And you say these advertising businesses, these ad-driven businesses, aren't getting the multiple they used to that's without a doubt that's the only way to explain the, the digital online that was kind of a, a, a thinking behind you know picking on roku okay i'm just like you know once i strip out what i consider zero like even negative value add hardware business i look at it in the same way i'm going to look at these online advertising businesses and no one's paying 20 times sales for onla- online advertising right it's just not happening and you've got so many examples for it and you're just like what's being what's being priced in here right and it's are, are these stocks where you're like i need to buy them here and these multiples will expand again because the growth is still there for them or are is there a dynamic here where you're thinking you know what there's going to be a slowdown uh, it's coming and the online advertising business is going to take a, a decent hit. It's, it's, you know, it's an economically sensitive mm-hmm. area where you're going to feel some pain and they haven't felt pain in a very long time, right? And slower ad spend, whether it comes from fewer startups, the SaaS companies starting, you know, a lot of them focusing more on expanding their margins and not investing as much in, in customer acquisition, whatever it comes from. And it would be like, is that a leading indicator? You can ask that question, mm-hmm. right? Because when they trade at those valuations, you're you're basically saying to yourself, I mean, you know, all things aren't created equal, but there's there's an element of of the multiples there have been compressing quietly in the background. Right. So that's that's where you get into this like, what do I do here? Am I if I start? Is this you know, is this January two thousand one where? get excited about this relief of something and then i actually have to deal with slower economic activity which is not going to hit you with a sledgehammer the way it did then for a lot of the names that people are over invested in but will you know slowly work its way in cuz you like like i said when i was just reading these tweets even salesforce.com when they reported it was like oh amazing numbers they beat and race i'm like it's salesforce quarter is like every single quarter Salesforce has reported for, as far as I'm concerned, the last four years, right? They always take up the guidance, literally every single time. So they've managed the guidance very well. And they've been managing the acquisitions to to maintain the growth rate, the top line rate over 20%, right? And the stock never does well on earnings and rallies in between. You know, it's just been the story. I mean, for the most part... Salesforce to me has always been an underperformer relative to other names. You're just like, well, why isn't Salesforce valuation, uh, you know, 20% higher than it is with ServiceNow and Workday and et cetera, et cetera, trading at these levels? So, you do you do have an element of that where you 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 can't conclusively make that call, right? Because you got arguments
0: on both ends. Well, and that's what I mean. I guess that's the. You know, we've talked about this before. That's always sort of the case in the market. You've got to navigate that and decide what to peg against, what to what the trend is. But then yeah, when you throw in something like you you know short term disruption, potential to have knock on effects as far as we could be hitting a recession anyway. and then you have to size, okay, what does that mean for uh, for the market and for that valuation appetite and what does that mean for? individual stocks and how they're going to, you know, what's going to happen to their, you know, it's very, I'm, I'm long booking for example, which is actually up today. And.
1: Okay. I like that company too. And I've liked the <laughs> stock and thank God I haven't bought it in the
0: last. I thought, thought about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, th- they there, well, so here's a good example. So I think I went long in close to where it is now a while ago. So it's wiped out a lot of gains, but, and i sold some of it off, but most of it I have. And I mean, we're talking about like individual shares because it's a high share price, but the, the, what's interesting to that is you obviously know that there's some disruption. And I'm a big fan of, I love travel stocks anyhow. So I'm struggling a little bit. I love travel and I understand, I think booking has a, really strong position. I use them for all my hotel bookings and for rental cars, whatever. And they, you know, you can size in, they are going to take a hit and they've already forecast are they've basically forecast EPS for Q1 right now. They're saying it's going to be half of what it was last year, still positive half of what it was. I haven't decided. I haven't. And I think there's have generally traded stable to a little bit up since they reported yesterday. But you, there, you're trying to size. Okay, originally I was gonna say low 1700s was where I was gonna add. Where, but then all this stuff happened, and so you have to adjust that somewhat. At the same time, what you like about Booking, or I like about Booking, is that market position. I don't think they're. I think they're the type of company that consolidates in a downturn, and is a leader. Like I, I unless you're worried about the Google threat, there's not a ton that I'm concerned about with Booking. They also have a pretty clean balance sheet, so I'm not worried about anything crazy happening there. So it's just a matter of what's the timing, when do you wait it out? But you do have to, like there's, you know, and because it's so obviously with some of these companies, it's a little bit more obscure. A stock I'm looking at and haven't opened is um, Arista Networks, the Net, and that. Yeah, I, I don't, I, know I well. you know, I'm sure, you know, I, I'd love to talk about that, but with that, I don't, you know, I guess I'm worried about, well, Microsoft's going to miss their guidance and Facebook, like how is this going to affect them?
1: Well, they have, you know, super right. high customer concentration risk in cloud and, uh, you now have Cisco willing to sell the Silicon directly, right. Which is being viewed as, uh, you know. A threat, essentially speaking, to their business model. So I mean, there's there's always you. Those are the same thing with Palo Alto Networks. Mm-hmm. You, you've got these tricky ones in there, where you can make a competitive position argument. You know, Palo Alto versus Zscaler, Arista versus Cisco. There's, these things don't go yeah,
0: away. Yeah, and I th- and Palo Alto is down. I guess they had a bad report or something. They're down big.
1: Well, I mean, they basically pissed all over Zscaler okay. two quarters ago, and then they came, then they came out and they missed the <laughs> <laughs> You know, the stock had gone down on. on Ball don't lie. I mean, I, to tell you, I I I I I was short it into the results two quarters ago, and it dropped from like two twenty to one eighty after hours, and then I watched it reverse after hours to the point where it was green, and I was like, what the hell is going on? I wasn't even listening to the conference call, and they were doing it at the same time as a, like their investor day, and they just started basically just ripping into all the competition. right? Like, let's not worry about these guys. We're crushing them here, crushing them there. Uh, we're going to grow at this rate. Uh, here's our forecast for the next several years, and you know, as bullish as a management team could be, and they have a new CEO. And then they come out a quarter later, and they, they're just like, yeah. Soft numbers. Yeah. That's,
0: that's <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I mean, cause th- that's, you know, again, just coming from my general perspective, my, my response so far has been, I've made a couple buys in companies with clean balance sheets who I had in my portfolio already where I could fill out a position or whatever else where I think, you know, one of them, for example, I'm long is discover and I've recently been interested in them. And it just feels like, Okay, credit card, like you're going to still use credit cards. What? Like it doesn't seem like this is going to be the end. of th-
1: Well, credit card companies have been doing so well for so long. I mean Visa is just the champion of – And MasterCard stocks, had a warning right? this
0: week. So I know there's uh,
1: – Not really, but yeah, a little bit. Cross-border traffic, yeah, so- et cetera, et cetera. But again, like, like, like those names are – the way they've traded, they're vulnerable to anything. That's the, I, I mean I like your argument around bookings, right? I mean, you're 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 buying a leader who occasionally has some sensitivity to economic type of events that you know it's it's like right. it's like weather with you know retail stock, and it's it's not a bad idea. I mean, you, you write off a quarter. I mean, it's just like Nvidia when you think back to the inventory correction and be like, okay, competitively they've gotten past a lot of things. This is a one-off, and they're going to come out of this pretty strongly now. Right. And there's normalization will happen quick as far as the operating business. And that's something you're essentially making a bet on when, when you buy uh, uh, booking holding here, at this valuation. And I mean, look, I mean, that stock has not performed well over the no, last several years at all anyway. Right. I mean, the, there's been concerns. There's been all the startups, the, the competition, you know, nonsense like uh, <laughs> Oyo, as well as AMB, genuine competition like yeah. uh, Airbnb and the, the broader themes and in, in terms of uh, what what's happened in OTA and the way Google has operated and the trends and that that's, that have hit Expedia and them to the you know in the same type of manner but like you said it's a compounder and it's likely a consolidator when things are bad right
0: but but that's where that other variable is is that sure if it's just a quarter that you're essentially wiping out or two even that's one thing if it's we're going to see a lower level of economic activity for a prolonged period again it's st- it's all of this is with the right sort of companies all of this is surmountable but it does extend your payback period which means you need to be more thoughtful about where do you add what's your valuation
1: i mean look that's where you get into uh this dynamic with the us election right basically considering the way the us market functions and you know, the types of names that are global in nature that everyone around the world is essentially investing in, right? I mean, that's the advantage of the U.S. market. I mean, it's sucking in capital from everywhere. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, like, what, what is your view on the election?
0: From a market's perspective or from a, I assume you mean from a market's perspective?
1: Yeah. I mean, do you consider it? A, a decent risk i mean have you been following this closely Mike? i've been
0: following it closely more less from the
1: i mean i mean my twitter feed is like nonstop. uh communism is is around the corner well it's
0: my my feed is a mix of journalists and fin and so yeah. the journalists tend to be very left and the FinTwit crowd tends to be very center uh you know bloom bloomberg is like the laziest example of who they're interested in, and so yeah it's been you know it's interesting i I think you're going to see if if, if Sanders, who is the leading candidate and he's probably getting the nomination
1: well they, do, they' i mean from a plurality standpoint, yes, but the discussion now is that. they will not throw it his favor if he doesn't have a majority.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know who the alternative is, is the, is the thing. I don't know who, I mean, unless Biden really consolidates the, the center. Yeah. That's not happening. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, that's the thing is it's just, it's, I mean, it really is similar to the 2016 Republican primary where you just don't one side, one candidate has such a strong floor and nobody else is really going to get enough of the rest to compete with him. And so, you know, I think there's a risk. Well, I mean, if
1: you look at that, it, it's interesting because 2016 it, it really kind of does, it is almost a turning point in, in U.S. politics because it was a reflection that the Republican message really has, had been so diluted from the establishment that you could get a Trump in there as a candidate.
0: You mean in terms of the economic message and the traditional? I'm, s- I'm saying just the total you know,
1: core values, uh, you know, uh, family, this well-behaved, etc., cetera, et cetera. It was the exact opposite. It seemed like nobody cared, right? So like none of the establishment candidates resonated, and you know what what would be considered, let's say, a moderate Republican, right? I mean, Bush tried it. Like you had a couple other, uh, I mean, you had the failure before with Romney and so on and so forth, but the the failure there gave you Trump, right? And now you're seeing the exact type of flip side dynamic in, in the Democratic Party, right? Where a moderate isn't able to rise above. Mm-hmm. And you, you've got this, again, kind of anti-establishment candidate that's come out. So it's like the middle has been culled, right? And I mean, it's look, it's it's interesting in when you look at it in the sense that you know everyone's throwing out the socialism moniker and socialism takes you to communism i mean but i mean if you're if you're a student of us history this is a 100 year old thing right i don't don't know how familiar you are with it but i mean back to all the way back to fdr every single democratic candidate has been hit with the socialism moniker
0: that's i right and that's why i from the political standpoint if i'm inside the democratic party and i you know i just sent in my ballot for the democratic primary in michigan but if i am in the party i'm not i'm not worried about the electability argument that much it's there but i think you're right i think that whoever if Biden gets it, he's also going to be called a socialist, and you know the.
1: Well, no, not now because look, I mean that's it, it, it's really you could say it's a boy who cried wolf scenario, right? Mm. I mean, we we've essentially, from a conservative side, been calling every Democrat a socialist for a hundred years. Okay, I mean, Clinton got hit with it. JFK, you know, Goldwater was was giving uh, uh, LBJ a hard time over. Uh, hopping on the ticket with JFK and being like, I don't know how you can be comfortable with the socialism, you know. I mean you can you can trace this all the way back to the Democratic Party conservatives trying to uh knock off FDR after his his I think it was his, his first term, maybe his second term. But they created this
0: uh Well they ran Al Smith again, didn't they?
1: Yeah, American Liberty League. That was the Al Smith that's the that's good that's good uh, good uh history knowledge on your part. History major. Huh? I- yeah, well there you go. So if you think back to it, I mean that was the American Liberty League was was financed by I think DuPont. Okay. Right. And they they wanted to get rid of FDR. It was it was a corporate move, right? And if you look at the Democratic Party, I mean it started there with the conservatives, let's say from the corporate side. And it's slowly, I guess you could say, the, the slow erosion of the unions. And then uh, with LBJ losing the South, right? Right. Civil rights. Right. So once, like, essentially the Democrats lost the conservatives over race, right? And progressively, it's just filtered, 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 filtered over time to, to the point where it was, you, you get to the point like, what's the Republican message? Right? Because they've been so focused on this hammering. I mean, they used to have I mean, look at Ronald Reagan when the uh, the American Medical Association, you know, had hired him in, in, in the sixties, you know, to to rip into Medicare. And they used to have this thing called uh what was it? Operation Coffee Cup, where like a doctor's wife would would invite her friends over and, and play a recording of of, of Ronald Reagan <laughs> telling you that Medicare is 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 bringing communism eventually.
0: Yep, I, yep.
1: I mean, that's that's 60 years ago almost, right? And I think by the time we got to to Bill Clinton, I mean, if you look at Bill Clinton's presidency, it he was he was great for conservatives, right? He passed the crime bill, welfare reform. With the well, I mean, he gutted welfare essentially speaking. You know, he took the view that you know we got to get you off this dependency. Telecom Deregulation Act. He repealed Glass-Steagall, mm-hmm. if you think about it from a market standpoint. Mm-hmm. He balanced the budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make an argument that th- there wasn't a better president from a policy standpoint for what conservatives champion than Bill Clinton in the last 30 years, right? The Defense of Marriage Act, right? It was against gay marriage. Don't ask, don't tell with the military, right? So this is a, this is a hero. And what, did, what was the... Republican position the whole time he was in office as he's a socialist. Right, I mean, Im-
0: impeachment and, yeah.
1: The New, new Gringers revolution against him, and they scorched the earth underneath him, and when you think about it from a bipartisan standpoint, he's a moderate Republican and everything that he passed. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and for, for many conservatives, a, a genuine champion compared to what they got later. So, i think that's what you had you have had the democratic party particularly from an economic standpoint really has been just moving to the right and i think when you got to when you got to uh the 2016 election you don't really have a message other than cut taxes you know and that's I, i think that's where you got this uh donald trump rising above because you know on the economy I mean, we sit here and we talk about drug reform and and healthcare and, I mean, look at a Valiant, you know, Valiant was a company that thrived throughout which administration? The Obama administration, right? right? And when, have, when did drug prices explode? You know, while he was in office. And these are just things that have, you know, I think Obama also suffered from the financial crisis and having to deal with it as far as maybe killing progressive agendas. But If you look at the dynamic and you've been calling Bill Clinton a socialist, well, ultimately, if I'm a person who wants more entitlements or believes that, you know, in healthcare as a basic right or just has gone from the point where I just wanted some reform to the healthcare system, and anytime we try to get that, we end up with a moderate candidate where it's just more of the same, right? Mm -hmm. So I might as well just go all in on the, the other extreme, you know, which is, let's say, uh, Bernie Sanders' program, because everything else in the middle has been really what essentially was the, you know, right the right side of the spectrum before.
0: Well, and just, and yeah, there's that, and there's also the perspective of bargaining, and of if you have, if you're coming from the far left, that's going to get you closer to the moderate left once you water it down or whatever. And that's, I don't know. I mean, ultimately compromise is not super frequent and, but it seems like sometimes that's uh
1: but that's the point, Daniel, if you're a Republican, okay. And you know, you've been a, a capitalist free market champion and, you know, and I, I fit and like characterize myself as someone who's, you know, been, been ascribed to that camp for the past and you look at it and you go back and like you said uh, as a history major and, and you you look at the history you say look if bill clinton was willing to give them the republican side all this okay and you scorch the earth underneath him then what is what's the point of bipartisan
0: right right no i, I
1: and I and that's where you end up with where, where i think the, the, the republican party in 2016 found itself in a crisis, is that what they had been criticizing in the past, right, they got it all from the Democrats. It's like, what do you run on, right? Because you've been calling everything socialist for 100 years, that any attempt at any type of reform just continues to slowly grind the spectrum to the right, that you finally end up with a socialist candidate who's popular. Right. And that's where you 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 basically can make the uh, boy who cried wolf argument, and that's when you look at the at things today and you say, look, has has the the core capitalism mantra swung too far? Is that where we're at, or at, or are we close to it in the U.S. Because we've been grinding lower on taxes and both personal, corporate, and deregulation for essentially 50 years. You know, this is when you get to this this crisis this week and the criticism that Trump is getting because they've cut funding for CDC and NIH and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how aren't you prepared for something like this? I mean, if you're draping yourself in the military and veterans and the Second Amendment and, and so on and so forth and tough on borders and, and, and whatnot, you would think that, you know, crisis response would be one of those things. And it wasn't because, look, I mean, when you're spending the way they're spending, you've got to cut somewhere, right? And you're like, well, what are the odds of, a, you know, a biological outbreak while uh, I'm president? We can, we don't need to spend money here. This is one place where we can, we can cut spending. Right. And, and I mean, like that, that, that obviously backfires, but I mean, that's, that's part of the equation because you, you prioritize certain things that just can't be touched, right? and you, you don't want like you just don't want to cut military spending you don't want to you can't touch entitlements yet so you got to find somewhere where you're like okay th- this can go right and those are types of things where it's like you know how are we like how aren't there enough test kits stored for something like this
0: right i mean it's it's interesting to thinking back to the 2012 election because i remember following following it closely First election, I as an adult, I really followed closely and I was probably the only person who voted for Kerry in 2004 and Obama in 12, but didn't vote for Obama in 08 just because I didn't vote in the general. But there was a feeling of, I just feel like there's, we're way off stream, I guess, but I guess it, to tie back to the markets, it's there's this adult conversation that needs to be had at some point of... You can either have a strong government or you can have super low taxes. It's hard to kind of have both. And we've, and yeah, to your point, point, and the market has priced in, you know, corporate tax rates were they're 21%, not even, not even 28% and closed loopholes, but all the way down to 21%. And, you know, we're happy with budget deficits, you know, at the. What seems to be, and there are economic arguments sure. that crisis levels, essentially speaking, there are economic arguments. You know, Derek Thompson, in The Atlantic, has made that pointed out that look, you let it run hot, and we're actually seeing wage inflation. So maybe there's positive. So I'm not trying to be too uh, normative with that, but the idea that we're not, we we kind of want it right now. We're having it all because we're running these deficits, or we have low taxes, but we still. There are cuts, but we still have a lot going on. Yeah, it's not sustainable, and that's where that pushes you to extremes, and that pushes you to sort of these reactions, like you said. And then what that look? I mean, I mean, sorry
1: to interrupt, but like what you're saying, like you were saying, we we we're way off topic. But to me, if if you're a long-term investor, we're not right mm-hmm. because when you do look at Bernie's platform and how popular he is, and you think about what that implies, it would essentially be a bottom and a turning point in the cycle, right? Everything starts going back up again from a long-term trend of grinding lower. And that's obviously not good for the stock markets in in terms of, let's call it an overall valuation, right? If you're gonna pay higher capital gains tax and corporations are gonna pay higher corporate tax, you're gonna have less buybacks, right? And you're gonna have, you know, Lower after tax returns, right? So that impacts multiples, right? Mm. And the argument has to be at this point whether, if it doesn't happen in 2020, which at this point seems unlikely, does the next recession make it a no brainer, right? Have things swung so far in one direction that The next time you have a recession because like we said you go back to the financial crisis and you didn't really end up with you know much reform right because it was a crisis and
0: that's right and that's where i think both the trump the, uh, the trump takeover of the republicans and the bernie takeover of the democrats i think that's where it's that's what it is is that the there wasn't enough fundamental changes to that people felt addressed their needs,
1: hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's when you say, look, look, have the balances got like, like there's a, it, take the pharmaceutical sector, right? And when people talk about a Bernie Sanders and you know, Medicare for all and, and and whatever, the immediate argument is that there'll be no, there'll be no, you you've eliminated the need for drug companies to do R and D, right?
0: The incentive. Yeah.
1: Then you then you look at the drug companies over, let's say, the last 10, 15 years. I mean, there, I think there was almost a good. Ten to twelve year stretch where they spend more on buybacks and dividends than R and D. Okay, right. So, yeah, I can get the argument of the uh, a single payer, you know, government system for all, definitely stifling innovation, and making that argument that this is not the solution. But the whole point is is that those people who are making those arguments. You haven't thrown anything for them in between. Right. Mm. And that's when you get into this type of dynamic because anytime someone has, you know, has tossed about, well, you know, we could change this and we can have we can make it so Medicare gets to negotiate directly with the pharma companies. And that will bring put pressure on drug prices. I don't know, did you, if you watch John Oliver?
0: I saw only the tiniest bit of that.
1: And he, he highlighted the, the insurance company that's paying people paying people to go to uh, Mexico okay. to get their prescriptions, right? Like he basically attacked this whole uh, Medicare for all disaster. He didn't draw a conclusion, but he just said, let's think about the other side of the argument. There are some things here that you know could be good, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at something like that and you say, okay, fine, th- we don't need to have Medicare for all, but the right needs to start looking at these platforms and saying, well, you know what, some compromise on reform to the healthcare system that makes it more difficult for drug companies to have prices at these levels is, sh- should be explored, right? If, if you don't offer something like that, you get to where we are today.
0: Right. I, yeah. I mean, I think that's what it is. It's that balance of capitalism where some view capitalism as this un. Best with no market minimal government intervention you really only need government I mean it's almost the Adam Smith thing you only need government for defense and whatever I I don't I, I feel like he just said defense but I could I could be forgetting but it's where there's this purism of oh no we don't need markets but you know 2008 like you need a government intervention there and yeah and it's like everything's a balance I, you know does Bernie have it right I don't know I I I think there is a strong, you know, listeners who have stuck with us will have a guess of where I lean, but it seems reasonable to expect some calibration and some, and whether you do it fast at the end of the day or whether you do it piecemeal. I mean, I think you can, the you could argue that the failure of the Obama administration was not to be, was to be too intellectual about it and too sort of step by step when they needed to take bigger steps i don't know but you know but that's the whole point
1: how do you take bigger steps if every type of step you're trying to take is dubbed as socialism right communism etc right 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 until you get to this point that this is i mean again it, it it's it's almost a question of have we hit peak capitalism right that's the argument you got if we look back five years from today are we going to look back at today and be like well you know that was that was the that was the peak of a, of a very long cycle, because, and we can argue that it started with Trump, in the sense that he comes into power because the core Republican establishment had no message, and why did all the potential candidates the Republican Party could put forward after Obama not have a message other than the one that Trump brought, right, and it. it Trump essentially, you know, gave gave an anti-establishment message, mm-hmm. and then we're coming to the to the 2020 election, and the Democratic Party is having the same problem,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So you look at it and you say you you've you've been you've moved the center so far to the right that you're getting this counter, you know, this Newton's type of every action has an equally opposing reaction type of thing, mm-hmm. and that if 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 i'm a free market capitalist purist and, and whatnot i should be thinking hey we need to like i mean look at bloomberg bloomberg is like a conservative as a moderate republican candidate right i mean this is a person who's, who's who's gone on record you know calling social security a ponzi scheme right blame the uh, financial crisis on redlining <laughs> i mean there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in that he's he said where you know he's definitely a person who would be characterized in the past as you know a moderate to slightly to the left republican and that is right now being viewed as your as your establishment type of uh, candidate for the democratic party hmm. so it it is an exercise in the, in the in the way the political spectrum has swung and i mean when I look at my Twitter feed and all the finance people in it, and like you know the running jokes that are made about climate change and uh, you know, AOC and Bernie Sanders and so on and so forth, it's like, well, I mean, I get it. It's fun. It's fun to joke about this, and you know, we're, we're where we are today because you know for the last fifty years, anything that came from the left side has been equated to communism and socialism. Mm-hmm. Right. till so you finally get someone who is I mean, I think the one interesting thing about Bernie, he's not willing to dilute his message. I mean, have you noticed that Well, I
0: was going to make the, you know, s- talking about VPs and somebody. He could make himself more electable. Right. Uh,
1: he, he could he, he, he could step back. And this guy has basically concluded that, that like and I'm sure they think about it. I'm sure he's being advised on it. And I mean I, he definitely seems to be a person who, who has you know strong conviction in his beliefs and and that's why he does so well in these debates is if you if you ask me, but he's not willing to dilute his message he's not willing to be like, you know what we're going to try to get this done, but we'll be
0: happy if we get
1: a little bit less
0: right or we we, we want to be open to other people, we want to welcome all Democrats yeah i mean it's you you typically think all right well the we the vi- the president is going nominee is going to find a VP that kind of covers their flank, but I think Bernie is much more likely to go with you know I don't think uh, AOC is hel- is eligible for example, but like somebody who is more on li- in line with him than he is. Maybe he covers demographic flanks, but I don't think he's going to cover. Uh, well, I'm going to get him. am going to put Amy Klobuchar on my ticket. Like he's he's going to go hard with what he's going to do. It, he he does he. It seems that he believes that
1: there is no reason to compromise. Right. It's essentially taking the the opposite view. Uh, the lesson I get maybe learned from the from the Clinton era, right? Where what's the point? Mm. It's essentially it, any type of compromising is still going to produce some sort of ridiculous high level criticism of me dubbing me into this category. So I might as well put forth an agenda that appeals to. Clearly, a growing base of people who have been frustrated by this cycle over a long time, and it's resonating with them. Because, like, I look at it, I'm like, you know, why don't you just make yourself a little bit more appealing if you're trying to win this election to moderates, right? Don't scare the bejesus out of everybody. Like, I, you know, we don't need to You you don't. Let's say you really want to win, and you've got a candidate like Trump, where the general view is that he's. His behavior is so unprecedented and tilts towards you know, expanding the executive authority and authoritarian in nature in his behavior that I don't have to do as much to beat him, right? But if I stick to my core values, he's going to hammer me on what everybody is afraid of in the middle, right? And just be like, I'm going to give you more of the same. Uh, do you want this?
0: But uh, to be, I I don't, are you saying that that's a bad thing? Are you saying that you're just wondering why he's not doing it?
1: I'm saying that he's clearly, he's, he's clearly concluded and his people have clearly concluded that there's no upside in that. So they, they, they must genuinely believe that from, you know, what they're seeing, that there's enough of a base out there that is just, is, is, wants the core message. That's the alarming part because I would I would think that if, he, if they didn't see it that way, they'd be open to message dilution. Now, you could argue maybe this is what he needs to do to stand above the other candidates right in the Democratic Party, and he tones it down if he, if he gets the nomination.
0: I would say that there's two political calculations that I think they're probably right on, actually, in that, which is the Sanders camp, which is one is that people are still, there's still a lot of pissed off people out there. I I mean, look, I don't, you know, I'm pretty well privileged and I'm not going to claim that I'm, but I, I know in the 2016 election, I was more of, oh, you know, things like things are going in the right direction. The numbers say this, and that clearly didn't resonate. I mean, look, it did, we can go, we don't have to rehash, but it clearly didn't resonate with everybody. And I think there's something of that. I'm, I'm angry as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And I think that's part of what he speaks to. And then also, like, look, uh, people who like Trump will say that Trump tells it like it is. We can, I don't want to flame people about that argument, but there's something about not shifting. And Trump doesn't seem to shift even when he does shift because he just, it's always the same tone and the same approach he takes. And Bernie is the same thing. If you don't, if you stick to your guns, people trust you, people know what you're doing. And even if they, and so that could be, those are the two calculations I think they're making. I think you're right that they may be, there's a risk in terms of scaring off people. And then you just hope that the people in the middle, if you're their side would say, look, like it's still better than the alternative and the Senate's going to water them down. It's not really going to be all that bad. And it, it's just going to, Clear the decks, and you know, he's old. Maybe somebody will replace him soon. I mean, I know, and it sounds very much like what a moderate Republican might have been saying about Trump four years ago, but I feel like those are the two calculations that are actually relevant here. Well, I mean, look on Trump on two core
1: messages economically, he has shifted, right? He was all about the stock market is inflated by an accommodative Federal Reserve,
0: yeah, but that's that's I think self serving. I think that's just, of
1: course, 100% right but i mean for people investing you you kind of have to think
0: about it that way mm.
1: and on the budget you know he was sounding the alarm there and i mean the, everybody sounds the alarm there and then when they're in office it they just <laughs> don't care for a fiscal cons- for a fiscal conservative he he hasn't done the trick i mean obviously for them a bernie sanders talking about and these numbers that get thrown out are just crazy you know i mean like it's 30 trillion and 100 trillion mm. whatever right. And it's just okay, I need to be petrified if I'm worried about uh the you know debt of the u s government of this guy becoming president, so he he does like you said, I do think you've nailed the fact that the lack of dilution, which worked for Trump is clearly something bernie Bernie is sticking to because yeah i I would say you do trust them outright, and maybe that's that's a general view in that. It, on his side that that's how, that that's how what he feels he needs to do to win not waiver at all
0: yeah i mean it will be interesting to see if he gets the nomination what because you can see every other candidate either is already close enough to the middle or will triangulate if they need to i, I he's obviously the furthest left but it is it's just hard to see where he dilutes
1: yeah but when you look at a candidate who's focused on reform and yet is so critical of Success that he's creating a class warfare type of dynamic. That's where you're just like you wonder, does he not get it? Like you don't have to demonize, you know, amazingly successful people, right? It's not like it's not their fault. I mean, if you look at Bernie's history personally, he definitely has had a life experience which I, I I think has played a huge factor in his view, which he clearly. Doesn't like to bring in because maybe people will, will will say that this is what shaped him in that direction, and, and there's like a, a bit of a bitterness that has carried over. But you would think that he would tone it down on that on that respect. There's because he's he's in two different camps always when it comes to defending his his basic rights ideology, but. He he, he he still brings you that lefty revolutionary, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, this is a class struggle and the, and the rich have screwed over the poor. And corporate subsidies and, you know, welfare for essentially corporations and the rich is the problem. And you just don't see it. And I see it and my my followers see it. And we're, we're going to change this whole system. So that's where you're just like, that's dangerous in the sense where... I feel uh, moderates need to need to be like, look, we should adapt a platform of some genuine reform that takes us a little bit from the right closer to center again. So you nip this extreme that, that's festering in the butt because he is kind of pour, pour, pouring fuel on it. And when we look at this week in the market sell-off and we talk about things like a recession, I mean – if you do get a recession, you're you're gonna end up with a Bernie type president at some point. I mean that that's where we're headed. That's where I, that's when I look at it from this course, and I see the criticism. And I'm like, you know, I wish these 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 people would tone it down, and give some points to the other side and say, you know what, the healthcare system has issues, and maybe the government can't fix it, but we need to explore some sort of reforms to it. It's got to be improved. I mean, you talk to doctors, they'll acknowledge that, right? I mean, they'll tell you, like, there's certain people who just can't afford treatment. It's just without a doubt. And it's because of, of, of the way things have gotten. And there's should be a, a conscientious effort to instill some reforms that don't require Completely gutting the existing system, and and if you resist any reform, you, you end up with a candidate who wants to completely gut the existing system, which is where we going back to since we got so off track. The markets, is where I I look at today, and I say, okay, let's buy the dip after this week, and then I say, well, yeah, but what if that doesn't get us there, and you get a Bernie? That's that turns out to be a very bad idea. You should wait. Right. Of course, there are some upsides to certain things that people haven't haven't considered. You know, I mean, when you think about government spending is going to be. Yeah. The government spending, the, the type of stimulus that will come out of it, even you can make arguments. There's, you know, it's a bowl. Money moves around. So if you're going to cancel student debt, I mean, that's a, a lot of people who are going to be spending money in a certain type of way. Right. 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 Extra yeah,
0: income. etc.
1: You're putting you're putting it money in millennials' hands, who, from a multiplier effect, you know, Jeff Bezos may spend 160 million on a home, trading it between him and David Geffen, but you know, if you put an extra, you know, several billion dollars in the hands of you know 20 year olds, they're going to spend it on, you know, streaming and and uh, Amazon and you know and retail and on travel, so. There are counter-arguments, right? And they're not considered. They're just completely shotguns. Like, oh, this is socialism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and soon we'll have no property, right? <laughs> Which is actually ironic because, I mean, you know, and when I was in law school, I did a, a, a thesis on uh, eminent domain. Okay. And eminent domain is, you know, property rights, and you know, go, going back to the Constitution, it's you know, just compensation and public use. And, and my focus was on what exactly is public use, right? Because the public use concept has been expanded over the last 200 years to essentially be economic public benefit, right? Yeah. Not actual use by the public. You know, if you're going to do a redevelopment and provide incentives for Pfizer to locate a plant and you want to build uh, a strip mall around it, you know, that can be used for eminent domain, right? It's a public benefit argument. And on the Republican side, they never mess with it, right? It's it's never like, hey, this is like the second, like when you look at the Second Amendment, property rights, uh, uh, gun rights being sacred, you would think that when it comes to home ownership and your property, like the government can't take it away from me unless literally you need to build a railroad through here, <laughs> right? which was the way it used to be 200 years ago now i mean if you if you're building a strip mall with you know uh mixed use housing around it there's there's th- that argument can be viewed as a broad public benefit so it's interesting when you when you look at these things and how they've evolved over time and and what fits in because that actually has favored corporations and large developers which you know is something that would support a Bernie argument. Ironically, he doesn't make that argument. It should be an area where you you think that they'd focus on that, but it doesn't seem to come up as an issue.
0: Seems a little bit wonkier. Seems a little bit less pitchforks and more. That feels, feels like a Warren argument, I have to say. Feels like... Push up the glasses and explain.
1: I mean, you've, you've had people who are hardcore sacred property rights on the right who have always criticized uh, eminent domain, and it never seems to fit into the mainstream agenda because leave it at that to wonder why. Because it's just the, the counterbalance is who's, who's, who's generally benefited from it. Right. I mean, it works for government in both directions at state and federal level. But it, it, you know, since they've since the kilo decision, it's obviously been a major thing for urbanization, urban redevelopment, which is uh, you know on the on the other end of the tail. So where's the where's the market? Has it uh,
0: market as it we and we should probably use that as a market is still 1.6 percent down. The S and P, Nasdaq. So we're a little bit down from where we started. We started at sort of the peak of the bounce back today, and we have, in the span of, let's say, 50 NASDAQ points, we've managed to cover political history, the valuation state of the market, the competition in SaaS. We got a lot of ground covered here today.
1: I am, and I don't think we came away with any conclusions, which is part, part of the difficult part of this.
0: <laughs> we, my practice on podcasts is to never have a conclusion. It makes it, you know I I'm,
1: I'd, I'd I'd like to be more like uh, Scott Galloway and uh, <laughs> what's names name? Uh, I've been listening to that podcast. It's just the Kara Swisher. Yeah, yeah, that's. They definitely. I mean, he at least always seems to come away with a good conclusion, which tends to be Facebook is <laughs> is horrible.
0: He's yeah. I I have a lot of respect for people who are able to take super bold stances. I, I you know I I have my I'm not a I'm not a limp I'm not a damp squib or whatever the phrase is. But I do. No,
1: I mean he's obviously very bold, and he's done. You know his WeWork hammering at, really has put him in the spotlight. But it's. If you want to talk about, I mean, and we went into that last time, mm-hmm. but like theres there hasn't been an easier target than Facebook. Right. Yeah. And their CEO, you know, makes it even easier. <laughs> so it's not like he's doing himself any favors. Right. But I did think of you. Did you uh, read Iger's?
0: Uh, I saw the news about Iger stepping down and I had listened to actually to the interview he had done with Bill Simmons on that podcast a couple weeks ago which was you know not not long before the announcement really really interesting i mean it's kind of lost in the shuffle with everything else going on but really interesting did you read his bio his bio is good okay i mean i've i'm She's,
1: there's there's good stuff in there on on Marvel. Remember when we discussed the the history of Marvel? I'll
0: pick it up in uh, the. I'm going to be in an airport today, going through JFK. So as I look for my face masks, I'll also you'll love the cha- the chapter on the Marvel deal,
1: also the Pixar deal. His his relationship with Steve Jobs is pretty fascinating.
0: Okay, yeah. let me yeah. Good good call. So that's that is something I will be looking for at an airport bookstore shortly. But yeah, so this was a lot of fun. Let's so any. Here are the names that I I think we might have positions as this goes. I'm long Booking, Discover Financial, and Google, and Pinterest. I think you're long.
1: Yes, Pinterest, PagerDuty, PagerDuty,
0: Nvidia, Facebook, Salesforce, Amazon, Amazon, Salesforce, Amazon, Workday,
1: Work stocks that have just been going down. New Relic, are you long or? On the side? A small position. Okay. That's that's just, you know, I I bought some when I dropped a little bit more. Even what's it called? Recently, I had a small
0: position, that I got out of Dropbox. Oh, okay. Yeah, you did. You got out of that, though? You've closed that position? Yeah, it just, I mean. It had a nice post-earnings pop.
1: It popped a little bit. Uh, I I was more in the camp that it's definitely not a good short anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's.
0: There's clearly more compelling
1: long ideas. Yeah. And you've been so skewed. I mean, uh, short Shopify, obviously.
0: You were still short Shopify. Okay, great. Yeah.
1: Right. was short Roku, no, no exposure. But, I mean, again, this is, you know, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult market to pick to pick the names right now. I mean, Splunk has dropped big time, and that had been on a tear. Yeah, that last thing's come down a little. ServiceNow I pulled back, which I had been long. You're just like going back to what we discussed in the beginning. It's like you—it's tough to get excited about stocks that went from 25 times sales to 20 times sales, <laughs> right? Uh, when there's been so much decimation elsewhere, and and we're we have all these unknown variables looming for the rest of the year, because I mean there is a fire and brimstone element too. <laughs> it seems to 2020 where it, people are just having a very hard time quantifying risks and we're coming off a period of 3 months where the i don't you know if the market wasn't up every single day the president was upset right <laughs> that was that, you could say that was the peak of it you know 3 months of straight up and he he, he felt the need to tweet on, on a day the dow moved 0.2% uh, interday or whatever it was from a hundred points up to 30.
0: Mm. Okay. All right, cool. Well, lots of fun, Akram. Thank you for taking time out of a busy week and uh, yeah, stay, stay safe out there in the markets. Okie dokie. All right.